Welcome to the Waitlist Podcast, broadcasting to you from the land of horses and bourbon, Louisville, Kentucky. I am Tom, and I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague, Brad, and we are on the data science team here at Capture Higher Ed. Brad, what's up, dude? Uh, I will go into greater detail in a minute, but uh, today is one of my favorite days of the entire year, so I am Ooh. giddy with excitement. Yeah, why is that, man? What's, what's going on? Today is the very first day, the Thursday of the NCAA basketball tournament, Ooh. which is truly one of my favorite things in the entire world. So I am stoked. Absolutely. We are actually very honored. Actually, we're riding with three folks today in the uh, in the wait list. We've actually brought along another one of our colleagues at Capture, um, Eric Schreiner, who is the chief technologist, head technologist at Capture, um, and a really, really good friend. And uh, we wanted to welcome on him to the show as well. Eric, what's up, dude? Well, not much, man. Looking forward to talking to you all, hanging out, um, maybe having a beer, probably, almost for sure, having a beer. Absolutely. And so, I think yeah. that was probably the reason that you said yes, actually, to yeah, the invitation to come hang know, out. Any opportunity to drink a good beer is, uh, is, a, is a good start. Well, let's not delay. What, what, is, what is it you brought to the table and what are you drinking today? Uh, today, I will be drinking the uh, Walnut Brown Ale from Goodwood uh, Brewery, which is a Louisville, Kentucky product. And I'm a huge fan of nut brown ales, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this one. And I think their their whole thing, like the whole Goodwood setup, is is aging. Is it was that right? Aging, and it's in a different uh, mm -hmm. different wood. And so it actually is uh, not just a, a funny name. It actually is yes. descriptive. Yeah, descriptive. Well, well, I I am not a beer aficionado. I like this beer. It says ale aged on oak with walnuts. So there, there you go. Awesome, awesome. And Brad, it is, oh. it's delicious go ahead sorry no you're good <laughs> brad what you got today uh so i am drinking a uh, a the telltale tart slightly sour ale from uh, the boulevard brewing company um and uh i will be drinking it out of my free state beer uh, my free state brewery pint glass uh so boulevard is located in kansas city missouri and uh, free state is located in lawrence kansas um and since it is the first day of the tournament i am unabashedly cheering for my beloved Jayhawks. And mm -hmm. this is as Jayhawky of beer as I possibly could have compiled uh, up here in Minneapolis. So uh, I'm going to pop this open and see how it is. What, 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 are you, what are you working on, man? Yeah, I was going to say rock chalk, man. Uh, and chalk we actually got uh, on the wait list, uh, on, the, on, on the Twitters, the at wait list, got some recommendations for Boulevard. So uh, appreciate that. And people keep those recommendations coming. We'll try to accommodate them. So this, my beard today is actually an homage to one of our other fellow coworkers, uh, uh, Matt Cobb, whose uh, son works at Sweetwater Brewing in Atlanta. And he was able to swing uh, a, uh, a Belgium triple, their 18, which is a gorgeous oh. bottle. Yes, oh, I know it's, it is beautiful. I've tweeted uh, out a picture of that bottle, and uh, I've had this beer before, and I, I've always enjoyed it. And it's got this little cork, so you might be able to see if I can get that in the microphone. Oh, oh there it is. Nicely done. There it is. All right, yeah. pouring out here, gentlemen. Well, like we always do, we like to highlight different numbers uh, that may tell a story. That may be uh, a little different, or maybe that is a little thought-provoking. And uh, and Eric, since you're our, our guest, why don't you why don't you let us off? What number did you uh, what number did you bring to the table? Yeah, well, I, I I being a, a a tech guy, I I went out and I looked up uh, the latest uh, Standish Group. This is a report out there called the Chaos Report, 
which talks about uh, they track projects uh, across you know industry software build projects. And so actually, I have three numbers. You'll you'll know why, but I'll start with my first one, which is twenty nine percent of software projects are considered successful. Only twenty nine percent. Wow. And that means that they're on time, on budget, and that people actually adopted the software, right? Which means it had to be finished, had to be finished uh, on time, and it had to be finished uh, to the satisfaction of the end users. Twenty nine percent. Now, why I think that this is interesting, first of all, is most people know most people would, would say that's at least fifty percent. Um, and when I've talked to people, uh, but really more interesting is when they break it out a little bit into a little bit more detail. And let me, let me just say this: small projects have a sixty-two percent success rate, whereas large projects have a two percent success rate, <laughs> according to the Standish Group. So, uh, and um, I can go into this. I've got agile versus waterfall and stuff like that here in front of me. We can talk about that later. But I thought that that served to kind of is a little bit of shock value because we dump fortunes into these things. Um, and the, the success rate is so poor. I mean, you just, you wouldn't bet on this really, <laughs> right. If you, if you were doing it and, uh, and the, and the gap between the small projects and the large projects kind of serves to highlight what we want to talk about here with agile and why making much smaller decisions or making packaging things in a much smaller components matters. And it matters that much to the tune of 60%. That's amazing. I uh, now hearing the numbers, it's it's stark, but it yeah. You, once you scratch beneath the sort of mental surface just a second, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I I have a totally different perspective on that. Where I'm just like, wow, two percent got done. Yeah, you're shocked. You're, so you're not shocked by the twenty, the twenty nine percent. I think on time, under budget, and two spec. I think uh, no, two percent seems like a lot to me for a big project. I'm agreed. Agreed. Yeah, um, and you know the, the the types of creep in terms of budget, they they're usually two, three hundred percent over. Um, I know you all have seen these projects in your in your careers. Oh, yeah. I certainly have been fortunate enough to be an entrepreneur and uh, working in smaller companies and being able to uh, avoid a lot of that huge rollout uh, system. But not everybody can, you know. Yeah. But there are ways that you can make bigger projects smaller, and, that, and that, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, awesome. Good, good, good number. All right, Brad, what you got? Thank you. So. Uh... Tom, I, I certainly don't want to steal any of your thunder, but I, I have, a, I have a, a smaller big number than the one that I think you're going to be talking about. And mine is really simple, so I'll get right to the chase. Uh, my number is 9.2 quintillion, and that is a nine with 18 zeros, which uh, I, I think is, is a lot, but that uh, represents uh, the mathematical number of possible combinations you can get when filling out an NCAA bracket. Whoa. So if you flip that around, you have 9.2 quintillion to one odds of getting it exactly right. <laughs> um, which, uh, based on the four games that have already been played, I am already, I have already not matched that. But uh, happy <laughs> basketball tournament, guys. And uh, <laughs> thanks for playing. Pack, bracket busted before you even got started, right? It's not totally busted, but let's just say that I'm not on target to, uh, to match up the 9.2 quintillion to one odds. I'm not going to be that guy. 
Hey, real fast, uh, Eric, your um, micro it looks like a little bit of your microphone is scratching against your collar. Oh, thank you. It's getting a little bit of a scratch. There you go. Perfect. All right. So um, that actually is a good lead into my number. My number, I actually had to look up my number to actually find out what it was called, what the name of it was. Because my Tom, number. It's, 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 it's 18. Just the, one and an eight. That's called an 18, dude. Shouldn't you have learned that in like third grade? <laughs> no. Well, there's this whole sort of taxonomy of names for large numbers. And the number I have is duodecillion. And it is uh, in reference to the amount of combinations, unique combinations that in our machine learning enrollment predictions, it's the unique number of numeric combinations that you can, uh, you can experience and you can see um, in predicting enrollment. So um, it's a one with 340 zeros out to the right of it. So it's just a huge number of combinations. And traditional modeling, um, as we've kind of talked in previous episodes, is a uh, you know the description of it being uh, large data, but we're not we're not even close. It's not even in the same neighborhood in terms of the size of unique combinations that you know machines could just they just don't sleep. They just continually com combine these numbers against each other and try to find the these sort of you know patterns. Uh, what we've actually seen when we've done this, which is I find really fascinating, is that no two models um, have been the same. That there's always been these unique combinations. And I think there's a lot of rush in higher education to find um, sort of commonalities, these sort of best practices that that you know all seem to predict enrollment. And you know maybe what they're they're talking about is the finding of of maybe a macro pattern. You know things when you say to people like, hey, what's going on in your class this year, and then kind of give you an idea of these big broad strokes and themes. But really, but but really, if you think about it, what we believe is that there is a nano pattern that it is so fine and so thin grain that, uh, that, the, that the only way to really find that is to use, use machines and using algorithms to, to find. So duodecillion. I always thought that anything kind of beyond, uh, you know, a, a trillion or a billion was like cartoon names, like gazophilian, billion, gajillion. Mm -hmm. But it actually has a name. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and here i came in with here i came in with percentiles yeah for, for, those, for those of you listening at home in summary things have names and and uh, and, and to elaborate if if we do want that on, on exactly what tom is talking about we have, we use a lot of data points and so that's basically the number of different combinations of all of the data points that we currently use um but Technically, if someone sent us a really big data set, that could that number could um, oh, yeah. get significantly larger. Um, but that that's that's where duodecillion comes from is the thousands of variables that we currently use as our uh, our proprietary data set and the number of potential combinations that could uh, that could stem from that. Absolutely, that that would be like ten thousand teams playing in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> All vying for one trophy. It would be bigger than that. It would be it'd be this free for all of millions of billions of teams all competing. Yes, and it would be fun. So, what are the main reasons that we wanted to invite Eric? And other than the fact that he drinks good beer and he's a cool dude to hang out with, uh, is that you know Brad and I came from the the higher ed side, from campus based side, and uh, you know coming coming to a, comp a company like Capture a couple years ago has been a, a real change, not just 
at all just from the fact that it's a private company or that it's you know it's, it's, it's sort of the corporate side that that people in higher education assume operates in a different way but i was i wasn't actually anticipating exactly how and and i've always appreciated um podcasts and blogs that talk about the way that people work because i've always found it helpful to always try to reevaluate my own style of work and try to become more effective or more efficient in the way that i work and so that was our our uh, idea of being able to discuss a because we we use a specific kind of of style that's that's born out of a um, tradition in software development called agile development but so let's start with with the, the with what i've been used to and i guess what brad has been used to in higher education is you always have you have your recruitment season in the fall you have your reading season, you have yield season, you've got then, you know, spring travel, but then summer kind of rolls around. And summer was the time when communication plans are built, uh, fall travel territories are assembled. This is just huge sort of undercurrent of planning that take place. Uh, On-campus programs are selected, uh, dates, etc. Um, staff kind of comes and they go and you reassign all of that. Um, and then you know, fall ha fall starts to unroll, and by September, two things have happened. Number one, all these plans start to actually come to life, and two, most of the recruitment conditions under which the plans were created have changed. And it, there's this mentality of we're going to plan because once we start to get into the fire of fall and spring, there's really uh, not a huge amount of time for everybody to get back together and to reevaluate. And there's this long-term thinking and a lot of contingency planning that takes place during the summer. And when I came to capture, one of the biggest moments for me was, uh, Eric, actually, when you introduced me to the concepts of agile development, and I've, I've actually come to apply it to lots of areas of, of my life and the way that I work. And so I wanted to have a conversation here um, that I think a lot of people will be interested in the ways that they themselves and their teams can maybe work better and smarter. So, so, so explain agile development. What, what is it and what it's about? Yeah, these are going to be, in, in, in my words, and then coming largely from the technology side of this, which is, um, you know, where I'm hailing from. But essentially, there was, there was you know, if you, if you read these numbers, like I mentioned at the top uh, of the discussion here, you know, 29% for something you invest hundreds of thousands of dollars is not very good, right? So people in the technology group, ever the engineers, are trying to find out a better way to do something. And I think that they were really swinging the pendulum between two things. One was over-engineering, i.e. not having any predictability out of uh, a technology group. And then the other direction was over-planning and essentially never arriving at the destination you set out uh, uh, to achieve. And by the time you arrive there, nobody wants to be there anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's the real problem. Like, it takes so long because if you think about it, you could spend six months planning and six months building. Uh, it's going to take you an elapsed time of a year, and you're waiting one year for value to be delivered, right? Something of value to be delivered. So that that has been kind of you know where where I started with. So so the idea was, hey, how could we form some kind of a working contract between the people who are planning and requesting the work, and the people who are doing it, so that neither one of them, so they're kind of held into the middle, right? And 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 the people brought in ideas of continual improvement, and and uh, and the fact that. As you start, there's a, there's an acronym in technology called YAGNI, Y-A-G-N-I, which is you ain't going to need it, <laughs> right? So you don't build it if you ain't going to need it. So a lot of people get in and be like, oh, but it would be cool if we could do this, 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 and this. And part of Agile is to stop that conversation and try to get to delivering value as quickly as you can, 
So, and, and, and a lot of people with a prizing, um, rather than planning, they like collaboration in the agile world. So, whereas uh, in a tip, traditional like work order system, I would receive in a job to add a feature to a piece of software. And rather than them sending me every specification, right, uh, every detail about what they want, they would just simply say, you know, here's the business case and here's kind of what I'm thinking. And then when that project or that piece of work comes up uh, um, into the queue, we put together a technologist with a stakeholder and have them discuss what is in need and adapt to what's possible to do fast, what takes midterm, what takes longer, and then what, what, what is likely just a pipe dream, right, at some level. But it takes those two stakeholders, largely, and I think Agile is very good at pairing up the stakeholder with the technologist, and at least in the technology or software a development side. Right. So this, this idea of, of sort of cross-functional teams, small yeah. cross-functional mm -hmm. teams that are right. action oriented. Cause again, right. in, in my experience in higher education, what you tend to have are like, you have like a communications team and you've got an ops mm -hmm. team and you've got, uh, these are very much segmented groups that are specialists. They specialize in one aspect of recruitment. Um, right. And in many cases, they are making plans that some other element of the organization will have to implement. Have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so, what you would you what you would like to do is encourage far more collaboration far earlier in the process. And and the best case scenario you can get into is, hey, let's not plan out. Let's talk about where we intend to be. Right here's true north. We want to arrive at true north. But let's not try and get there by detailing our plan and our steps that we're going to go on. Let's, let's remain flexible on that. So the first part would be say, okay, what's the first thing? And this is what we would typically call a prototype, right? So what's the first thing we could do um, that we could actually do, finish, that would prove out this idea or show us the value? And in Lean Startup, which is a kind of an agile uh, system applied to starting companies, you would say, oh, that's the end. We, we realize nobody wants that. We're going we're gonna, to, what they call a pivot, right? And so without too much investment, they're going to shift trajectory, maybe just a little, maybe a whole lot, and get themselves on the right track based on the feedback. And that's really important. There's a feedback loop that comes in. We already have seen that, that these smaller projects complete a lot better on time. Then you get the feedback and the person, I've heard this before, I'm not kidding you. That's not at all what I was thinking you were going to do. Right? And so you've already invested time in this. Now, it depends on how much time you've invested. So you want to show some early results. For example, a test case. Look, this is really boils down to a kind of variant of scientific method. Right? We're going to go in. We're going to test our hypothesis. We're going to see if it's correct or disprove our null hypothesis. Whatever you guys want to say. You guys are PhDs. So you're going to you're going to get in. You're going to test, right? And you're going to make sure that that you're sure, right? You're clear that the value you intended is actually there, right? And 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 that can be done in these really bite-sized ways with with the team, i.e., the stakeholders and and the producers working in tandem um, for small sprints and bursts um and that's probably the next thing is we talk about how this kind of works out yeah definitely want to get to that uh, yeah in, in in the software world what you're what you're kind of talking about is um sort of figuring sort of take starting with a an idea of sort of user needs uh mm -hmm. and 
prototyping and, and trying to push to the learning as much as possible. But in the, in the higher education sense, the, that feedback loop is, is not coming from a user. It's coming from a prospective student. So this is and what I think prospective students are going to respond to. And mm -hmm. we don't actually know until the very, very end of the cycle if they've, if you know, ultimately did we hit our numbers or didn't we? There's probably smaller bits of feedback that come come right. back to it. And, and Brad, you've, in, in, in some of the CBE uh, data work that we've been able to see, we've been able to see this, this sort of feedback loop um, pretty, pretty fast that, you know, in, in many cases, higher, you know, higher education and admissions offices can't really see or can't really um, sort of pick up on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we're, we're tackling kind of a, a number of different questions here, you know, uh, one is basically how quickly can you get information from your sort of end user, um, which, you know, newer technology and sort of more agile abilities to agile, not in the sense that Eric is talking about, but mm -hmm. just in more rapid feedback, you know, in the same way that uh, educators are talking about, you know, having more frequent assessments and rapid feedback rather than there being a midterm and a final, you know, it's the same kind of conversation where the quicker you can turn around some result and get some feedback, mm -hmm. the, the more regularly and the better equipped you are to be able to um, act on that. Um, I think, so that's certainly a huge part of it. Um, I think the the discussion that sort of happens in higher ed a lot with regard to what Eric is talking about is that when you want to do a project, there's this, uh, you know, sort of necessity in higher ed because of the way higher ed is set up and because of the way that organization, different organizations are set up, that you want to get buy-in from a lot of different groups and you want to sort mm -hmm. of understand the complexity of the problem and you want to talk it through with everyone and you want to make sure uh, you know, that, that all partners understand what's going on. But every time that you have one of those discussions, it grows by a little bit and, and morphs by a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, this, this conversation, it always makes me think, uh, so when I'm not talking about beer or basketball, I'm definitely talking about the Simpsons or Futurama. And there's this great moment on Futurama uh, in one of the episodes where they visit the central bureaucracy. And I actually pulled up the quote where, Hermes, who is a bureaucrat, says, if you look at this book of regulations and the number one bureaucrat says, and I quote, don't quote me regulations. I co-chaired the committee that reviewed the recommendation to revise the color of the book the regulation is kept in. And then he responds, we kept it gray. <laughs> and I think that's exactly the process that higher ed often goes through, um, which is we think there might be a problem let's spend as much time as possible defining the problem. And then when you finally get around to the, the discussion of fixing the problem, you never have a really clear path on how to do that. And I think what Eric's talking about is that the technology world and sort of the agile development world has solved that in many ways by cutting to the chase of, let's not talk about the problem, let's fix it one tiny little bite at a time and mm -hmm. then see how we did. And see if we're right. Because in doing yeah. so, we're going to learn about our base assumptions and how That's wrong exactly they that. were. In fact, being wrong is 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 accepted. That there's going to be a, some element of being wrong mm -hmm. that will make us closer to what is actually true north, as you as you mentioned before, yeah. Eric. Yeah, the, the the Futurama corollary of that would be like we saw that there was a problem. I went and I changed the color of the binder, and then I asked people how they liked it, and they said, "Yeah, the new color is great." I right. mean, that would be like, you know, not to butcher the, the hilarity of what Futurama came up with because they're talking about this really arduous process. But if you see something and it's broken and you want to fix it, you do it. You do it. Mm -hmm.
But there's such a fear, though. There's such a fear of being wrong, though, that people are, I guess, in the example, they're going to revolt and they're really going to blame you for changing the colors. And there's, so, there's, there's, an, there's an expectation that, well, you know, if we really think it through and we plan it out and they do all these contingencies that we'll, we won't be wrong. We won't be wrong. We'll have thought it through. We will have thought of everything. We will have written this report. Everything will be thought of. And, right. uh, you know, Herb Simon came up with bounded rationality, I think, in the 50s. Like we've known, you know, we've known for generations that no matter how smart we think we are as people, we will never be able to wrap our arms around the full complexity of a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Eric, I, what's, what say you to that? Well, I, I, I've, I've lived that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've gone at uh, particular te- technical, technical problems multiple times. And every discussion would be like all in earnest, like, hard like really going at it right like trying to figure the solution i know it's there you can smell it it's, it's right there in front of you and at the end you've got the same conclusion you had at the beginning um which is yeah nothing should change or or something of that nature right um and and that's and, and that is by taking mentally taking too big of a chunk too but it's an experimentation uh kind of method where you try something you actually try to pragmatically do it we do a lot of experimentation in our group um, with new technologies to say, can this do this thing better? Uh, it'll only take about two hours and I'll ask for an assessment back from the developer. They'll say, nah, it doesn't work. Or, hey, I couldn't even get it set up in two hours, right? And 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 we'll we'll make decisions from there. But but it's really it really is this experimentation um, and and failing is definitely a part of it, you know, because you know, with all without a whole lot of planning, you, you could bring something to somebody they don't like. Right. And, and they'll tell you, I don't like this. <laughs> right. I, I'm the stakeholder. I didn't ask for that. I asked for this. And and you say, um, but this one's better. And they'll say, no, it isn't. And, you know, this whole dialogue goes on all the time. But you take it back and you make the adjustments. And, and, and in a very small scale, it, it, you know, um, you you move closer to the beginning, closer to the end. And, and really important to this is the psychological parts of it. Right. Um, essentially, you're winning more often, more frequently, and you get momentum, right? And, and there is, I mean, I've, I've been in higher ed, you know, nine years now, or at least associated with higher ed. There is this law, this this annualized terror in some cases of, right, are we going to be right or not? And it's the worst <laughs> feeling. Like everybody kind of goes off like uh, uh, on their on their. Christmas vacation, their holidays there during December. And it's like, ah, oh, they finally can unwind. But they really can't because, you know, everything's waiting for them when they get back. And, you know, I'm an outsider. So I look at this and I think, um, well, yeah, uh, that's, 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 that's horrible to not know, right? To not have that feedback loop for you to say, you know, I've had 20 wins by the time I got here. Um, and they're small, but they're all heading in the right direction, right? So It's a... Um... I, what I've described as sort of this message in a bottle approach. Right? You're, you're, you're just gathering all your stuff. You're just trying to figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. You spend a lot of time having done like a, a, a territory assignments for all the entire mm-hmm. admissions staff. It is it is a puzzle that you're putting together. Mm-hmm. And then you, you you get it done and you've, you're launching. And it's literally you're popping things into a bottle and you're just chunking it in the ocean. And then you're just waiting for it to come back around. And hopefully... When it comes back around, things are looking okay. Um, but that there's that feedback echo that you're waiting. And then mm-hmm. uh, eventually, though, you'll get a little bit of feedback. And if the numbers don't look good, then you're really not a, 
evaluating what you're doing, you're, you're simply adding, you're just adding on to it. More of the same. Right. So mm -hmm. then that's how you end up with these huge projects that have a very low likelihood of success because you just keep adding, which means you're not able to, to have the, the amount of bandwidth on the things you had already committed to doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Eric, would, would you, uh, give us an example of what failure looks like? Oh. Tell us what happens when, uh, so, so obviously we're, we're painting this as sort of a, a much better setup, but one of the, you know, one of the things that, that everyone needs to understand is that, you know, and I think a lot of our, I mean, let's be real. Most of the people who listen to this really like beer, but <laughs> the, the second group are people like who beer. have spent a lot of time in higher ed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think there's going to be people out there that are like, okay, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if we're, we're set up for this, but, but let's, game out what the situation would look like. Um, so I'd be curious if you could tell me, okay, so you're, you know, a Dean of admissions and you want to do agile admissions. Uh, <laughs> and Eric, you should be a Dean of admissions because you'd be awesome at it. I did some admissions for a while. Uh, yeah. I know, I know. So let's say that, that that's, that's your role and you wanted to, to uh, make this in, in agile experience. Tell me how you would uh, make that successful and also uh, forewarn what the failure could look like. Right. Um, so I think, you know, from my perspective, a lot is a lot is really uh, a lot of energy is really focused on these metrics that people have traditionally used. And we all know that they're quasi reliable at best sometimes. Right. So a lot of the focus is on metrics and it should be on the people to a certain extent. And how do you get that? You want to bring your team together at frequent intervals Make sure that you you let them know what the priority is at that time because it could change week over week because the metric that you like is still going well, but there's this other metric that's number two, and that one needs to be boosted, right? So to a certain extent, metric one, good, whatever that might be. Metric two, we need to, we need to boost that this week. So you're talking to people and you're saying, okay, given what we need to do to stay on track right now, and, and generally this is done in technology groups in what's called a standing meeting or a scrum meeting. So you might gather around your staff and you say, okay, we're going to stand up here. No cell phones, no computers, right? And you ask everybody, what are you doing today? What did you do yesterday? Any hurdles that I can help remove from you, right? So that's in projects. But as you're sitting here talking about it, it's about getting people clear on what they want to do in the very near term. I want you to talk to people about open house today. I want you to talk to them, right? I want you to talk to these people about open house today. Then you go back. Uh, and you get feedback from the group, right? So there's a collaboration there. But as you as you come in uh, to that meeting, you, you're really your your objective is to, to look everyone in the eye, make sure they're okay, make sure they're not underwater, make sure they're doing well, right? And to give them this clear assignment: call ten people and come back to me because I want to hear what they have to say, right? For something of that nature in a counseling kind of environment. So uh, you're going to reach out to them. And you're gonna you're come back to me and, and decide what they have, what they have to say. And that kind of feedback is encouraged. Look, these people aren't answering, and they're telling me, "Look, I'm not even thinking about that right now," right? Which may not match the calendar exactly as we thought it was. Oh no, we have a new generation of people. They don't behave the same way as the last generation of people, right? They don't want to be uh, spoken to in that way. So, what would failure look like? We come into the office one week, and I would suggest this should be done daily if possible. 
right? I mean, that's the optimal situation. I know that sounds like a lot of commitment. They usually take about 15 minutes. And you might have to break up different groups and have them meet separately, depending on your, your, the structure that you have. But everybody should be meeting with their supervisor and getting news and getting you know, input. But another way that might look at it is you walk into the office, you don't talk to anybody. You sit down at your desk, you do your job. Three months later, your metrics are way off. Nobody's been talking about that. May have gotten, you may have gotten your monthly reporting. You may have gotten your weekly reporting, right? But nobody's talking about what to change. No, no ideas are coming from the staff back into the leadership. But you're not getting any of that, that feedback. And nobody's having wins, right, or that are recognized. So everybody's just kind of off in their own corners. Is this kind of, is this kind of how, I would, uh, how you guys would say uh, you, what you've seen? I mean, I feel like that happens in my office here. Right, we we have people come in. They go to their corners. They do their work. No collaboration, and all of a sudden, somebody shows up and says, "Oh my gosh, we're you know we're totally off on this project." And everybody looks up and goes, "But I've been doing what I was told to do the That's whole right. time." Yeah, it's a head down for sure. Right, and so Agile kind of defends that. So that's what I would say. I would recommend. That this this objective that we have, first of all, you have to clear have a clear main objective, and that's you know your goals for your, your recruitment cycle. But but stepping down from that, you need to have shorter term, nearer term objectives that are being broken out and and chosen by the leadership of whatever team um, at frequent intervals, and feedback on those uh, from the people who are doing the work. I um, that's that's what I would say. Now a failure again would be everybody goes away and does their job. I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but everyone doing their job when you need to adapt is the wrong answer, right? They're fo I followed the plan. Well, but, 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 but email rates are down 15% this year, whatever it is you're using. How come nobody adapted to that? Right? And then imagine, I just guess what you think. How long does it take to change somebody's mind once they're committed to a course of action? A whole group of people. You need to change. You need to change it. But if you set it up from the beginning that I'm going to change my mind every week or every day, right? I'm going to give you new instructions. We're going to adapt to what's what the conditions are, and we're going to go off in different directions. Now they're ready for it, and they're leaning into it a little bit more, right? Because that's just work. That's how it is. Um, and so you're setting up that mindset. Hopefully, you're having wins. But I can tell you right now, you'll know much sooner when you're not having wins. Because you'll hear about the actual conversations on the phone, right? You'll hear a lot more details. So that would be my take. The way, the way, you know, uh, the way it can fail, quite honestly, and and I'll I'll wrap this back to suffer because I'm, I'm way out on the limb and, and I in the, in, the, in the admissions office part right now. Hopefully, I was generic enough that it all still applied. But but in terms of in terms of software development. The worst thing in the world is that I went away diligently build a piece of software that somebody specked out to a fair degree, and I hand it to them, and I'm beaming. Look at what we did, and they go, cool, and they're lukewarm on it. And then I look at my usage statistics, and nobody's using it, right? There's just nothing happening. They don't want it. You did all this stuff they don't want. If you had come and shown them the first screen, they would have felt way more comfortable saying, that's not really what I'm looking for. Can you tweak it here, here, and here? Now I have a much better chance of being successful. So, so long so, answer. So, so, no, so Tom, cool you've, uh, you've, you've uh, been in admissions offices. Is that, uh, that, that realistic? 
Is that something that you, th- that you think would be doable? No, I think I think the idea of, of, of expecting to, to get a, a feedback loop and expecting to do something different and changing my mind and, and getting people out of their cubicles and heads down. And um, that, that to me is, 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 is the biggest part of this. And I think that's, um, that's something that, it, it, that, that is just leadership. I mean, that's just a, a thinking about it in a different way. So whenever I hear Eric sort of talk, I think about um, there's a great TED talk from um, Astro Teller. I always remember his name, Astro Teller, because it's a fantastic. He's the director of Google. Well, what used to be known as Google X. Now it's just X. And mm-hmm. um, he he talked about what their goal, what they do there is is total moonshot. They're, they actually call themselves a moonshot factory. And so that's like huge projects, things that affect millions of people, water availability, sustainable farming i mean big stuff and what they say is they talk about they look at the way that the, a project could break down and that's what they push at first whereas in, in many other organizations they they really are trying to figure out how it would work first and then the problems we'll, we'll deal with that and when we get to the the we'll cross that bridge when we get to it um and in this case what i think about when i hear you talk eric is like where a higher education and recruitment plan can break down first is when the students aren't responding. So mm-hmm. let's push to that as quickly as possible. And but then once we are able to see e- you know, email open rates, um, campus visit that didn't go uh, as, didn't have as many people visiting as possible, shift, mm-hmm. move, change, because um, you can actually you know, affect the amount of success that you have by the time it's all said and done. I think even if that means breaking it, even if that means, so say you do okay the first time, but then you fail the second time and do even worse, you'll probably do better the third time. Mm-hmm. You know, Because I, I think that, that everyone always benchmarks against their most recent experience. And it's probably valuable for uh, folks who are in the enrollment space to realize that as long as you're getting feedback and as long as you're on short cycles, you're having both wins and losses, but at least you know more than you did last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think by knowing more, you can kind of convert those into more wins. At least in theory. Yeah, it's a resilient system because it can adapt to the changes. And that and that's that's what everybody was trying to get to with this idea of of, of agile, at least in software development. I think it's applicable in a lot of places. Well, thank yes. you so much, Eric. Yep. This is a yep. really awesome stuff, man. I, I appreciate you joining us. And as always, you're you're always welcome back in the uh, in the uh, on the on the wait list to come join us back here. I hope everybody out there enjoyed that. We want to hear from you. You can tweet at us at waitlist. Uh, we've gotten a, a number of people working, you know, uh, messaging out with, to us on Twitter, and we really appreciate that with beer recommendations, and uh, we're, we're very humbled by that, and we really appreciate it. If you like what we're doing here, please do us a big favor and leave us a rating on iTunes. We actually now have uh, listener surveys that are uh, put together by PodTrack, and you can find that link on our website at CaptureHigherEd slash waitlist. You can also become a friend of the show on the Untapped app to check out the beers we are enjoying on this podcast and find out where you can find them in your hometown. Just search the Waitlist podcast in the Add a Friend section of the app and let us know what your favorite beer is, and we'll include it in future episodes of the show. Thanks so much for making us a part of your day. Cheers, Brad and Eric. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Tom. The Waitlist Podcast is a supporter of the Creative Commons and open source online communities everywhere. A link to the bump music used in this podcast can be found in the show description and at capturehighered.com forward slash waitlist.